Welcome to Victory Points. I'm Becca Scott, and this is a podcast about board games, where I get to talk to amazing people about why they love games. Today, I am joined by my brand new co-host, Jake Michaels, who you may remember as my guest in episode one. Hello, Jake. Hello, Becca. So good to be here. You have strayed from the script that you added on to. (laughs) Correct. I wrote, happy to be here, and I thought, a little... Spice it up a little improv. <laughs> Ooh, that's precisely why I've asked you here, Jake. Spice it up with the improvs. <laughs> well, buckle up, because it's going to be a lot of synonyms today. <laughs> All right. We also have a guest today, which is uh, so exciting to have a very talented designer here with us, John D. Claire. So, John designs for Alderac Entertainment Games. He's the designer of Space Base, which was nominated for Best Family Game of 2018 by the Golden Geek Awards, which is from Mm BoardGameGeek.com, which is my Bible. And (laughs) it's listed by Smithsonian.com in an article as one of the best board games of 2018. And I looked at that list, and I agree with everything on it, and it was very exciting to see your game up there. He's also the designer of Edge of Darkness, which is a card-crafting game. And, uh, well, first of all, hello, John. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, good to be here. You left a helpless infant at home to be here. Well, with my wife, yes. Well, (laughs) but alone with her. Yes. (laughs) You left your wife alone, helpless, with a terrorizing infant. Yep. That's that's more the case? We could drop the word terrorizing. He's pretty good, actually. Is he? Yeah, he's actually pretty good. He's a lot of biting. This, this last night was one of his one of his less good nights. He's one month old as of yesterday. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Uh, and yesterday was the first day that, uh, or the first night my wife was with him all night long by herself. I went to a Dodger game and got to enjoy <gasps> yeah. got to enjoy Bellinger's Grand Slam last night. Yeah. Uh, and, they won, and Chilla, right? Yeah, they did. Yeah. And, and Chila was home alone with him for the whole night. <sighs> There's been other nights where I've been out, like, playtesting because um, I have to do my job. Um, but, like, her mom was over for the night and stuff, right? But, you know, she, she it went great. Oh, yeah. wow. You know what's so interesting about one-month-olds? Their fingernails are so tiny. <laughs> yes, and and they grow just like just like real people. What? So you need to clip them now and then, which is like super stressful. So scary, right? Yeah, what if everything's fragile. Yeah. And they're, and they're always making these little jerky movements, right? Unless they're asleep, so you can only do it when they're asleep, right? Oh yeah. wow, so sneaky. Well, uh, our topics today, which we should mention, so that we feel obligated to get to them and not just talk about baby fingernails. <laughs> Number one, baby fingernails. Yeah, right. Check. Yeah. It's a good game. <laughs> yeah. I fully there expect as as my as as Jackson grows older to be like my, my game designs will like start will 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 devote will go all the way back from like adult games to children's games yeah. and then gradually go back to adult games Follow as he his ages. Right? Yeah. yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, I love that. Baby fingernails is like an operation type game where you right, have to be super careful or the baby wakes up. Yeah. <laughs> yes, a Dex game. Oh my gosh, we just invented your next game for you, John. <laughs> it's good. Uh, de- dexterity games are great for kids, and I love them too. So that's a great place to start. Yeah. I have opinions. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're great for kids. Okay, well, I'll leave it at that. Uh, the other things we want to talk about, you have very two. You have very two. Very you two. have two very interesting mechanics that uh, are focused on in both Space Space and Edge of Darkness, and I want to talk about both of them at some point. So with Space Space, it is the um, 
roll dice and everybody gets something. Mm-hmm. Roll dice and everybody wins mm-hmm. mechanic. I don't know if someone thought of a better name for that mechanic, but that's... it's It does the job. Everyone knows what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think that that's a really cool concept. Of course, Settlers of Catan is... Yeah. Yes, I can't claim to have invented that one. <laughs> <Correct>. <laughs> it does a similar thing, nope. um, but... but there's always ways to improve upon it. And so I want to talk about what you've done with that for Space Space, which obviously it's extremely popular for 2018. It's on all these lists. So talk about what you did to develop that and where it divulges from something like Settlers of Coton. And uh, and card crafting. I'm going to call you the granddaddy of card crafting now. <laughs> I, I will accept that title. Okay. <laughs> uh, but... Before we do that, uh, brief improv interlude from Jake. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The Granddaddy is brought to you by <laughs> Studio 71. The Granddaddy. Yeah, no, you got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so what I like to start with is talking about your personal history in gaming and things that you love and things that got you to where you are. And the most important question is, what did you play as a kid? Um, uh, like a lot of us, the classics. Um, probably the most important game growing up for me was Magic the Gathering. Stop it! Yeah, yeah. We got to take another <laughs> um, interlude. In a <laughs> <second>. <laughs> uh, um, I should I should preface all of it though that I, I was homeschooled as a child, so I was destined to be a nerd regardless. <laughs> right. my, my destiny was was made for me. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I grew up playing, we played Risk, we played Monopoly. Um, I was making up games from the age of seven. Um, <gasps> Do you remember anything you made up when you were seven? Yeah, yeah. My friend played a game, Heroes of Might, Might, Might and Magic, on his computer. And we didn't have, like, this was my friend, right? And at home, I didn't have any computer games, right? We didn't even, like, we didn't have a computer, right? This was, like, mid-90s. Um, and uh, I was like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a board game. Right of that, and the game was horrible. Like it was unplayably bad, right? But Roll I was seven, so I give myself a little slack. There. A little, yeah. Um, Your eyes lit up. Did do you know this? Oh, game? I remember having the same inspiration when I saw Heroes of Might Magic because I didn't have that game either, but my friend did, and I think I went home and kind of tried to start a game too that was equally bad. I was probably like nine or ten when I saw right. it. Right. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh! Yeah. I just picture a split screen of the movie version of this, and you two working on your <laughs> stupid versions. <laughs> <laughs> Destined to meet one Failing day in Los Angeles. at a significant distance apart my, together. My first non-terrible game design was, I think I was nine when I came up with it. Um, it was called, okay. Mon- it was, it was called Monster Cards. I said non-terrible. I didn't say it was good. <laughs> um, uh, it was called Monster Cards, and it was it was it came out of Pokemon, right? My friends were all collecting Pokemon, but I was like the homeschool. And actually, a lot of my friends were homeschooled too, but I, but I played baseball. Um, at like Little League and all those kids would like have their Pokemon cards because it was like that was like the 90s when it was like crazy huge right Um, and my mom the homeschooled mom was always saying well we don't need to buy that you can make that right oh I love that so I was like okay I'm gonna make a game about little monsters that fight Um, and mine was a dice game and it it wasn't good, but it wasn't. It was like playable, and like some of my friends got into it, and they were made some monster cards too. It was fun. That's a real benefit to that kind of environment, that creative environment of like, yeah, we we're not going to buy that. You can make that. I give I give my mom a lot of credit for my creativity and yeah. my my sort of defaulting to um, thinking of as, as a young as a young person um, 
defaulting to thinking like, well, I, I don't need to buy it. I can try creating it myself. Right? Did, did you have a lot of siblings? I just have an older sister. Yeah. Uh, so I find that with homeschool kids, too, because my wife was homeschooled. Like, because they don't have a lot of people around them their age, because they're not always at school, they have to do a lot more creating in their own time and imagination. Yeah. Now, hold on. Your wife, Katie, is n- not... She's good my at wife, games, but I wouldn't sh- call her... Oh, okay. His yeah. wife. His wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your name is uh, Sheila. 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 Uh, yeah. Katie's not a nerd. And John told us that all homeschooled kids are destined to be nerds. She's so. pretty nerdy, and she, well, she's an artist. Is what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, she's so like, like super cool. Okay, well there's, well, there's all kinds of nerds. I'm glad Becca's gatekeeping <laughs> for women right now against <laughs> women. That's great. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sa- I'm putting her in a Venn diagram. I'm super cool and also good at nerdy things. Yes, that's true. She is. So, I like that Venn diagram. I'll take that. Yeah, she's broken down the. The barriers. Well, John's really cool too. Okay. <laughs> All right, I guess this isn't a thing. You can, you I'm can throwing be a, this Venn diagram in the trash. You can be a nerd, or maybe geek is the right word. You can be a geek and still be like socially competent, right? Um, can you play? We've sort of broken down that stereotype as like geeks have conquered the world, right? Can we? Can you play board games at the level that we play them and not be a nerd or a geek? No. <laughs> I don't think so, right? Okay. You can be a totally normal. Socially great person and be a geek. Socially great. I think, okay, here's a new definition I'm making up right now that nerd or geek I'm defining as passionate about intellectual endeavors. Great. That's perfect. Love it. Yeah? Great. Yeah? Absolutely. I'll, I'll, yeah. Whatever makes you happy. It just came to me. Yeah. It, divine inspiration. All right. <clears throat> Jake, I'll allow you to ask one question. Um, okay, yeah, I can, I can ask a question. What, where do you start when you are designing a game? Obviously, like, you might start with inspiration uh, and then kind of, like, expand from there. But, like, what's, like, the day one kind of design plan? Oh, it really depends. Um, uh, it also depends on where, like, that, that question changes depending on what, what part of my career as a design, game designer I'm in. Sure. Um, Walk us through So so where path. So where I'm at yeah. now... Um, uh, a lot of my time is spent uh, developing, uh, expan- I'm doing expansions for a number of games, right? Um, and when I get those off my plate, I have this long list of game ideas that I've like n- put notes down for, right? And like whichever one I'm the most excited to start on and I think I have the time to work on, like that's the next one that comes off the okay. list. Um, I, I, I have ideas for games at a faster rate than I have time to actually <laughs> make them. Sure. Um, uh, it, it, it's about what game I think I have the time to work on is a little bit different than some other things I'm working on and I'm excited to work on. What's like the tactile action you take day one? Like do you make pl- like note cards and start like playtesting yourself and like seeing that or do you start making uh, a spreadsheet of all the different assets that are going to be in? Like what's, what's the first plan of action? Uh, I use Adobe Illustrator and I usually start um, laying out uh, what the components of the game would look sure. like. Um, and I don't, they don't need to look even close to final, but just the process of starting to lay out what, like if it's a card game, what the process of starting to lay out what the design of the card is helps me flesh out exactly what the components of that card are and how they should fit together, right? Got it. Um, uh, and I'll get, I'll get basically the digital prototype to a point where it has enough content that it's playable, and then I'll and then I'll pl- and then I'll print it out and make it and play it. Got it. Um, so you do it all digitally first. You don't like you don't make note cards or flashcards for yourself and like kind of do a tactile thing like with your. No, I, 
it, I'm, I'm quick enough with Adobe Illustrator at this point that that's just as fast that way as doing nice. it all by hand. And then I can iterate on it much more easily once the digital files are all there. Right, right. right. And again, it's not like I'm like making a really beautiful prototype yeah. and spending a ton of time on there before I'm actually testing it. I'm, I'm making a, a pretty like black, like black and white. Not, yeah, they're just not, placeholders. Yeah. yeah. Right. Jake, that was four questions. Yeah, they're, um, they're, well, I'm going to do follow-ups <laughs> um, pretty often. Uh, I think as a duty as a co-host, that's actually one of my requirements. Sure, right? yeah. yeah. You're right. I did put that on the list. That I made an Adobe Illustrator. I did not handwrite it. I know, but it's very beautiful. The drawings on the side are just <laughs> awe-inspiring. All right. I want to jump into Space Base because this is awesome. How does it feel to have a game that just blows up like this, you know, in, in our industry? It's, it's super exciting. I mean, uh, Space Base, Mystic Veil did well. Um, Space Base actually even more than Mystic Veil though. People tell me that like, oh, I saw that being played at my game group again, and that's just a good feeling to know that people are just playing your game and having a good time yeah. with it, like around the country. Yeah. Right? Um, that was kind of before I before I had any before I had actually even sold my first game. Like my dream was to come across a table of people, none of whom I'd ever met before. Right, playing a game that I designed yeah. and all having a good time. Yeah. Right? and it's a really good feeling to just know that that's happening with one of my games. So people are just enjoying it, right? I like the phrase that they, you said that they're playing it again, which means they played it once and they definitely <laughs> wanted to do it again. Like that's For yeah. people that have a ton of games, they don't always repeat them very frequently, yeah. but that's a good sign. It's so. true. That's the test. If I want to play it again immediately, mm -hmm. I know it's working. Now, did you sort of strip away everything you'd worked on? We'll get more into Mystic Veil vale and Edge of Darkness because those are very specific, but you, Space Space seems to be Nothing like those games. Mm -hmm. Was that your intention that you set out to accomplish? Um, no, but there was. Well, the intention wasn't to specifically be different than other things I've designed. Um, my, my, the the directions I go with game design tends to be a little bit all over the place. Um, uh, the first game I made was like a real time fast hands card game, uh, for mostly for kids really, um, and then I did Downfall, which is this epic 4x game that's actually finally coming out like this week <laughs> or the Kickstarter is delivering like this week and next week. Oh, cool. Amazing. Make um, sure you all check out Downfall yeah. on Kickstarter. And then I did Mystic Veil, which is like a deck builder with a pretty significant card crafting twist to it. And then I did Space, and then I did Custom Heroes, which is a trick-taking game, and then I did Space Space, which is a dice rolling game. Oh, so that actually, you designed it before you designed Edge of Darkness. Um, I designed... Oh no, Edge of Darkness is in that mix. It hasn't come out yet, so I was doing it in order of games released. Edge of Darkness will be out, will be reaching backers this year, which is like a medium weight Euro. So like, I'm all over the map. I see, it's um, because I have played it, and so in my mind, uh, it's already out there, but you, we played, you played it we, we played it last year. Yeah. Yeah, Edge of Darkness is, will be getting to backers in June or July, is oh, what I've been told awesome. this year. Yeah. Now, Space Base, for those that do not know, have been living under a rock, mm -hmm. not reading their best games of 2018 lists. Give me the full how-to synopsis. Sure. So, um, uh, from a design standpoint, it was by far mostly most inspired by Machi Koro, um, and I can get into that a little bit more. But gameplay-wise, um, you have a you have a board in front of you with um, basically columns sectors one through 12. Because it's a spaceship. And it, that's your space, that's your like docking station, right? And in each of those sectors, you have a, you have a card that is, represents a ship. Um, and then each of those sectors is numbered one through 12. And on your turn, you roll two uh, six-sided dice. 
and you choose to either combine the two dice into a single number and get whatever card that number is, mm -hmm. or to get the benefits of that card, which is usually like uh, space credits or um, income or victory points. Um, or you can take both individual dice and get both of the numbers for those, right? But, but since the individual dice can't get past the number six, all the cards past number six tend to be much more powerful, right? Mm -hmm. So you have this incentive to, incentive to combine them to get like an eight, because that's going to give you something better. Um, but you get multiple rewards if you go one through six, right? Oh, I go more stuff. And then, and then as you roll, um, you get more money, and then you use that money to buy more ships, which replace the cards on your ship, or uh, replace the cards on your player board. Um, and the card that it replaces becomes a card tucked above your board, and the cards above your board trigger in exactly the same way, except they only trigger when opponents roll the dice. Mm -hmm. So that way, every time you buy a new card, you're creating a new ability you get when other people roll. So as the game progresses, oh. you're constantly building up this engine that you get when other people roll their dice. Oh, see, okay, I'm starting to see how it dif differs from Machi Koro because I, uh, I have a love-hate relationship with highly luck-based games. When I'm doing well, I love them, and when I'm doing poorly, sure. which is more often, I dislike them slightly. Um, Machi Koro got a lot better when they put out the Harbor expansion because it made it more based on strategy than luck, slightly, a little step in that direction. But what it sounds like here is that if you roll well, everyone else benefits, so you have a higher chance of, of getting the things you want because it's more based on what everyone else is doing rather than what you roll. Yeah, Space Base gives you a lot more control over your strategy than Machi Koro, right? So you start the game guaranteed to get stuff on your own rolls, right? So in Machi Koro, um, you sometimes don't get anything on your own roll, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, in Space Base, it kind of takes away the luck a little bit at the beginning in that you will always have enough money to buy something on your first few turns, right? Uh, and every time you buy something, you get a new ability you get when other people roll, right? Um, and then, of course, if you if the cards you buy are all in, like, Sector 12, well, then you're playing a pretty heavy luck strategy because you need 12s to be rolled, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but if you, buy, if you buy cards in 1 through 6, your odds of those being rolled are very high, and you're going to get a steady income flow. And right, there's a lot more you could choose, like, yeah. oh, yeah, it's, it could be a 7 or it could be a 5, and I'll take the 5, obviously, because right. I have invested more in 5s. Correct. So you, you get stuff um, pretty frequently during the game. You get a, a steady flow of income, especially on opponents' turns. Um, and there's a lot of cards in the game that give you uh, abilities that let you control or manipulate the dice rolls. Ah. Um, so if you, they tend to not do it. They don't do anything else though, right? So you need a, you want really powerful cards, and then cards that make it more likely you'll get them. Right. Or you just want a bunch of okay powerful cards, but in sectors that get hit a lot, right? Right. And those are like two of the two of the various strategies you can pursue in the game. Ooh, I I say go for the dice manipulation early get a bunch of those and then late game gravy it's I'm already, that is a viable I strategy played. <laughs> yes that's i haven't a good played strategy. but i'm crafting She's already my playing strategy. in her head without the <laughs> i don't need you guys i'm already playing here <laughs> and i've won <laughs> <laughs> well cool what has been when did you know that this reaction was big were you at a certain con and you just saw people just flooding into the booth and filling up these tables um, actually, so AEG has this uh, program called Vanguard program where they send out, um, uh, it's, it's basically demoers who are volunteers around the country to demo AEG's games. Oh, that's cool. Um, uh, and then they get some sort of um, 
uh, like, free stuff. like free stuff or, or swag. you know, discounted games and stuff, swag, right. Um, and uh, I'm part of their Facebook group. Um, so if they have any rules questions about a game of mine, they're demoing. And what really jumped out at me was the amount of people of like Vanguard saying, we played Space Base three more times this weekend, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> wow, yeah. <laughs> um, Whoa. Yeah, it was like for, awesome. for, for the first like two months that the game had been sent out, like that I was just constantly getting Facebook like pings like, hey, we played, we played, we played Space Base more. That's great. Um, and I was like, okay, people are, like not only are people playing it, but they're playing it like over and over right. and over again. Like That's this is a good important. sign. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. The replayability, yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. So was that through Kickstarter you guys did it? Cause, like, no, every Space game Space was a regular release. Whoa. Yeah, Space Space was a, was a regular release. No, Kickstarter. Yeah. Hmm. Which, why? Because it's, it's could a, be. It's a publisher's Right, because you, yeah. yeah, okay, cool. So the AEG, is that yeah, an yeah. AEG? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool, and they made that choice. Yeah, so they have they have their schedule. Um, uh, there's there's advantages. There's specific advantages with launching a big game like Edge of Darkness on Kickstarter, right? Because if um, what yeah, what are the bullet points of that? Because I don't think everybody knows. We have a I'm basic understanding because sure. we've been going through this so much. Okay. But like that might be helpful to understand. So for a company like AEG, who who already is established, right? They have connections, so they they could just they could have just do retail for all their games, right? Um, the, probably the biggest reason why a company like AEG would benefit on a game like Edge of Darkness for Kickstarter is risk mitigation, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. a, a, Edge of Darkness is a really expensive game to produce, right? Um, and they would love the game to be really successful, right? And they'd like to give it a chance at being successful. Um, but if you only print like 2,000 copies, mm-hmm. it's, you're not giving the game a chance to really be successful, right? So you'd love to print like 10,000 copies, right? But if the game costs you ton to make and doesn't hit well right well you 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 just left yourself with a giant you know uncovered uncovered manufacturing check right for a game and a whole lot of inventory right so what, what kickstarter does more than maybe more than anything it's also used for useful for marketing and getting the word out and getting cash up front to help with cash flow but more than anything is probably risk mitigation. It gives you that estimate. Okay, we can print this many copies because we've already sold X amount and we feel confident, et cetera. Is it also because like space gaze, space space based is a little bit more uh, accessible, whereas Edge of Darkness is a little bit is because it's a little higher tier in terms of Absolutely. complexity and specific nature of what gamers are into it's not as guaranteed right whereas edge of darkness is a hundred dollar plus board right. game space space is a forty dollar board game mm-hmm. um and less components uh, smaller components yeah and you can you can play with most people um yes. edge of darkness most people would be like that is way too complicated for me sure. right um and I mean most people, not most gamers, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah for Talking sure. about the overall population yeah. here, not the population of listeners to right. this podcast. Exactly. The non-geeks, non-nerds, yeah. you like to say. All right. If you all are wondering why John is the god of card crafting, the, the generator of the genre, we're going to get into it in just a minute after a quick word from our friends. Welcome back to Victory Points. I'm Becca Scott, joined by my co-host, Jake Michaels. What up, Becca? <laughs> and our guest, uh, and our guest, John D. Clare. Yep. 
Welcome. Uh, we're back. Yes. Woo-hoo. Welcome back. Good, good, good <laughs> break. Welcome back to good us. Break. That was yeah. a good one. Yeah. Hands in and break. Okay. Ow. <laughs> Did you break something? No, I just pulled something. <laughs> I'm going to stretch over here. Cool, 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 cool. Uh, yeah, that sounds good on audio when you stretch a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Oh, I had this horrible cough. Okay. All right, now it's time for John to define for us what the heck is card crafting? Sure. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I sort of define card crafting as um, uh, any, a game that uses cards where the cards can be modified in such a way that it retains the modification while also retaining all the properties of being a card. The mysteriousness. So the card can be placed face down, it can be placed faced up, it can be discarded, it can be shuffled, it can be drawn, and all of that can happen while it retains whatever modification you put on the card, right? Um, and and if, if you do that in your game, then it's a card crafting game, right? Did this come to you through divine inspiration, in a dream? Because yeah. <laughs> I was, so um, I came with card crafting. I'd, I'd sold two games at that point. Um, only one had been released. Um, it was it was Rumble Pie, this a kids a kids game essentially, um, and I w- I was literally this doesn't always work, but I was literally trying to think of something. I was like, what is a crazy idea that I've, that no one's ever done before? Um, uh, and my my brain landed on card sleeves, and I was like, is there is there a game where you need card sleeves in order to play? And I and there isn't, there wasn't at the you, time. You, sorry to interrupt. Right. You started with the concept of is Car- there a game that needs card sleeves to play I land, well I, so I was, I was going through I was so the, the, the sort of the brainstorming process I was going through was like let me think of different components okay in, that are used in games and see if there's a way like think try to think try to think of a way you could do it in that that hasn't been done before right so like cube towers or cards yeah, or the tower. game box or Ooh. and then I landed on card sleeves and I was like well card sleeves are a thing that people used to protect their cards. And one of the most beloved yeah. accessories right. f- for 25 years of gaming. Right, but there's no game that, that can't be played without card sleeves, right? And then, and then, of course, the next question was, well, what what would that mean if, if, you, if a game had card sleeves and actually required them to play, right? Um, and then, of course, over the course of process of, of playtesting and coming up with new game ideas, um, I landed on using transparent cards mixed with card sleeves so that you would put essentially multiple transparent cards into a single card sleeve to create a card um, while playing, right? Amazing. And the very first of these was Mystic Veil, which was a deck-building game mm-hmm. where you're creating new cards within your deck mm-hmm. as you go. Yeah, so you've got you've got a deck of 20 cards. And like a deck builder, you're um, making your deck better as the game progresses. But unlike um, typical deck builder games, you're not adding or subtracting any cards from that deck. You're just making the cards in your deck better by by adding those transparent advancements. Did you know that Mystic Veil was the very first how to play I ever I, did? I, I, do, I do know that. Really? <laughs> AEG contacted me before I was doing them for Geek yeah. & Sundry, but I had been doing Game the Game live on Twitch. And they, oh. they, we, we yep. figured out how to do this, and they hadn't made one before this was either. The, that was the first one they'd done, also. Yeah. It, was, it was sort of a. a, a we were all virgins. Yeah. <laughs> See what happens. Yeah. That's yeah. great. I didn't know that. 
And AEG is about an hour away from LA, so mm-hmm. I remember two guys came out, but it wasn't you. And nope. they taught me at Game House mm-hmm. in Glendale uh, how to play. We just sat there for a couple hours and played some Mystic Veil, vale, and uh, it, it was the dawn of a new era for me. There you go. <laughs> we can find this video online still, right? It is findable, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, I, I'm probably very goofy in it like, <laughs> before I got comfortable, especially at the start. You know, sure. I do. Yeah. I directed yeah. you to be goofy in some of that stuff. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, uh, yeah, I used to try a lot harder. Now I just show up to work. <laughs> yeah, just default mode. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, at first there's something to prove. Sure. Anyway, enough about that. That was very exciting. How did you feel? How did I do? <laughs> that video was great. Uh, I was ex- I was I was just excited about like everything then, right? Because yeah. this was like the f- my first big game release was Mystic Veil, vale, right? Yeah, um, for a very known publisher. Yeah, and I was doing the thing you're not supposed to do of like obsessively like looking at Facebook posts about every the game comment and like, and like reading the comments on BGG and stuff, yeah. which you're really not supposed to. Do. Yeah, like, no. <laughs> especially yeah, especially on BGG because people are very honest about that kind of stuff. Yes. Like I did not enjoy this, my experience. This game I is such a gimmick. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Very hard. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, because you're starting a brand new concept of gaming. Of course, not everyone's always ready for change. You know, yeah. change can be scary to a lot of gamers yeah. who are used to their meeples. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that you started that. The genesis of that came from looking at components rather than just mm-hmm. mechanics. I mean, it became a mechanic, obviously, because that's what it is. But I love that. The, the, I love the nature of that creativity of like, what else can I look at instead of like a story or an IP or like just a particular board type? It's like, what else is here? And I, I just love how you came to that. Well, yeah, it, it doesn't always work sometimes. Sure. But but it's good to, to I try, I have a lot of stupid ideas. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I've gotten good at recognizing them as stupid ideas. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's good to actually go down the path of a stupid idea for a little while and see if there's actually something there. A hundred percent. Right. I agree with that so much. Yep. You find you can find uh, gems in that Absolutely. search, right? Even I had a really stupid idea for a game that I'm working on right now that that turned into a really cool cube tower yeah. idea for that game. I love that process yeah. of creativity. That's great. <laughs> Is this Edge of Darkness? Because no, there's no. a cube tower in that. Edge of Darkness uses a cube tower. Um, a game I'm... I'm the, the next card crafting game, um, a game called Dead Reckoning, uh, which is set in like a Caribbean-esque setting. Uh, you have your own ship, and you're exploring the, this unexplored um, ocean in your pirate ship or privateer ship, and you can be more, more or less piratey if you choose to be. Um, and you have a deck of cards. Each card represents a crew member, and you're kind of card crafting the, your crew members with experience. Um, and you get into ship battles, and the ship battles are resolved via a cube tower, which is which is one of my stupid ideas that turned out to be really cool, the way the cube tower works. What was stupid about it? Um, it's so hard to describe without visuals. Um, I, what was I guess the, what's what's the part of it that bothered you? Like what didn't work about it? Well, it's not that it didn't work. It's that it's that it it'll maybe it'll sound stupid when I say it. Sure. The the cube tower looks like a pirate ship. Okay. Oh. It's shaped like a pirate ship. That's cool. Yeah. Awesome. Um, it uses the game box as a drop bo- as a as the drop mechanic. So I'm you on actually, board. You actually you, you slip this thing in between the lid and the bottom of the box. Okay. okay. Again, it's hard to describe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you slip this thing between the lid and the bottom of the box, and then drop the cubes through that, which then bounce off the ship, 
and land on this board like the ship is shooting the cubes off of its <gasps> off of its port. So cool. It's a great idea. And they land on this board, and depending on where they land, you do more or less damage. Ah. Or you pirate resources or stuff <gasps> like that. It's just like when I shoot cannons off a pirate ship. That's how it works. Yes. It's hard to aim yes. with a cannon. Yeah, you just take the cannonball and you drop it really hard in the deck and <laughs> bounce it up the other No. Um, that's yeah, amazing. But that it, sounds but so it, cool. Yeah, it was a it was a ridiculous idea that um, mechanically actually works pretty well and is like an exciting moment in the game. And I still don't, I fail to see what's ridiculous about it just because it's ambitious. Like I, I say so I say I say silly. Like um, the idea of taking so we went from like I was I had the cube drop idea in the and landing on a board and that was kind of different. And then and then my thought was, well, how can this be more thematic, right? Because this is a pirate game, like just a tower where you drop cubes doesn't uh, make any sense. There's sure. no towers in so, the ocean. So the, the stupid part was, how can I make a cube tower function more or less like that, but be more thematic? So I came up oh. with this punch board pirate ship that you use. And then the, the ridiculous idea is the way the, it integrates the box into it. I was okay. going to say yeah. okay. what what's interesting about the way that you have been creating new mechanics is that there are the two camps. I mean, there's everything in between, but there's the two camps of a Euro game is mechanics focused with light theme. Uh, a mirror trash game is theme focused where sometimes mechanics fall to the wayside in lieu of heroes being super cool, theme being super cool. Um, and you have sort of found this this new entryway that's in between these that is, let me build something awesome that is tangible that will function as both a mechanic and sometimes theme related and then start with what I want to do that's never been done before in terms of the tangible object and see what happens from there. And the mechanics have developed out of that in a really interesting way. I love different weird physical things in games. I always find that enjoyable. Like game, if a game's got something weird looking on the table, I'm like, oh, I kind of want to try yeah. that. Yeah, I've um, never seen that before. Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of a lot of designers are are mixing good kind of Euroy, more Euroy mechanics with rich theme games. Way better. Like now, like we're in the golden age of board we games. We really are. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah. Um, Let's just revel in that for a moment. Right. Aww. Okay. Insert that in later, Brandon. <laughs> just like harmonize me with myself. Hey, oh yeah. Yeah, you're gonna have to auto tune that. <laughs> Very cool. Well, uh, before before we start talking about some of our other favorite things, um, I just want to describe what Edge of Darkness is. For people, it's probably too late to get in on the Kickstarter because it happened over a year ago. Depending on when this podcast out comes out, there may be like a brief window oh. to get in on a late pledge. Oh my but gosh, you very, guys gotta get that it's late a pledge. Very brief window at this point. All right, brief window. Yeah. All right, all right. Okay, there might be a brief window, so yeah. we'll see. But I really, really was surprised by how much I enjoyed Edge of Darkness because, as you mentioned, it does have that ooh, that might be more complicated than I'm in the mood for thing. But then. When you play it, not at all. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, because there's there's it, you're buying cards, you're buying segments of translucent cards, transparent cards to put into your card crafting deck. Um, but there's so many options. Then at first glance, it's you don't you need to replay it in order to understand what the best strategy is because all of the possibilities of things you could slide into your cards all have different abilities. Mm -hmm. And you guys only scratched the surface in what you played. You oh, just, yeah. You just played the recommended beginner setup right. twice, which which there's like five different reasonably good strategies 
that you could pursue in the, just the beginner set, but like that was only 10 of 50 locations that you could play with. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, that was bananas. I remember yeah. when you brought that in because you did you have 50 then? You had more than 10. I, remember. I did. I had yeah. all 50 designs. You did? Oh, point. yeah. I was remember being like, oh, there's a whole nother world yeah. of this game. Too. And the, I, I should clarify the 50 includes 13 you get in the expansion. Sure, so sure, it's 37 sure. just the base game, but still. Do you want to describe better than I can from my recollection how you play? Sure. So um, Edge of Darkness does a number of, of uh, key points I like to talk about. Um, card crafting, of course, just first and foremost in what it's doing that's different. Um, but I'll start, actually, I'll start with the overall feel. It's got a kind of Euro, Euro-y feel to it. Um, we're not fighting each other, but we're not really rooting for each other. Um, <laughs> you can steal a card out from under someone, yeah, which is yeah, very yeah. Euro themed. Um, uh, uh, it's victory point based. Um, players players represent guilds in a city, and they're attempting to be the most powerful guild in the city. And there's various ways to be powerful. You can be wealthy. You can be influential, or you can be very well respected by the population of the city because you defended the city from these evil threats. So this is a city city that sits upon the edge of darkness and is constantly threatened by the Forsaken Lands. Um, and the guilds are responsible for defending the city, and they can shirk their responsibility in lieu of trying to make themselves super wealthy, which sometimes is enough to be ri- to, to win the game, and sometimes not. Um, so that's sort of the thematic setting. Um, the game plays out of a single deck of cards, but at, at which everyone is drawing from and discarding to, and and via card crafting owns different parts of the of the deck. So some cards are owned by you. And if someone else draws your card, they pay you for the privilege to use your card. I love that. Um, Little passive income. Right. So, oh, so you got my card. Yeah, so it's like a 30, in a four-player game, there's 33 cards in the deck. And you own some of them, and you can own more or less of them, depending on how, how you pursue your strategy. Um, and But the cards are all double-sided. So as you card, when you add a, when you add a slip to a card, um, you make the front side of the card better. But on the back of the card are the monsters. So when um, when you make the front side of the card better, you're also making the threat on the back side more powerful. <laughs> so the threats that are constantly attacking the city and you need to either go kill yourself or defend from um, scale up as the players scale up in power. It's a really nice smooth escalation. The more you're able to yep. fight, the stronger the monsters get. I was really ha- when I was when I was working on the game, it wasn't originally like that, um, and I was really happy when I was like, "Oh, that's a really easy, just f- like fluid, organic way for the bad guys to ramp with the players." Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's nice that it keeps up with you instead of like having to always track another number. Or you don't something. have to think it's, about it as right. You're playing, right? Yeah, it's just naturally. Oh, it's I make there. this card better, and just and just by doing that, it's automatically better on the backside. Also, right, right. That is fluid. I like that. Yeah. And then, and then there's a cube tower in the game, which drives the way the monsters attack and the pace at which they attack. Um, uh, and then finally, in, and importantly, um, like we were talking about, there's it's a modular game. And every game you use essentially 10 modules, um, uh, which have their own set of advancement cards and a location board. Um, and you're kind of doing a little bit of a worker place, a card-driven worker placement thing at these locations. That's how, how you kind of drive your actions. Um, but every game you use 10 locations and you get 37 in the box. Um, so there's a ton of variety in the types of actions um, and stri- potential strategies you can pursue depending on what 10 locations are being used. Right. And you can, I remember you can train more workers to be able to send them out more mm-hmm. uh, and have more worker placement options. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you don't train more workers, you tend to be very limited in 
the power that you can use. But but depending on which 10 locations are you are out there, you might say, you know what, I think I can get away with not investing in, in a bunch of new workers, right? Um, and then, you know, maybe that doesn't work out or maybe it does. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maximum replayability no. in a modular game. That's really what's exciting about it. No. I, I gotta get my copy and play with some new modules. <laughs> now, did the dice tower change it all from the prototype to what's in the box? Because it, it was so cool that um, you'd put the cubes for each player, whatever they had, their penalty had been that made them put more cubes in the top of the tower or in the in the place that would mm -hmm. later go in the tower yep. when the monsters attack. And then if you had the most cubes fall out, then you had to fight that monster, mm -hmm. and it was split into three, and there were always three monsters. Um, did that, the way that the tower fits into a box evolve? Yeah, that was a, uh, I mean, that, the problem was mostly on AEG's end. My, my prototype was just a little cardboard thing that, like, kind of... It, it was a ta it was it was not really a tower it was like a slide and the cubes would slide down this thing and like I glued a few things onto it to make <laughs> them like bounce around as they go down cool. and they land into the three zones um, uh, they wanted to make a really cool tower um, that like the cubes clacked as they went down oh love right. a good clack so they they put a bunch of time engineering and figuring that out um, uh, and we ended up with a with a pretty cool looking plastic tower yeah nice uh, did that was that part of the reason that it's taken so long for the the final product it to was, be shipped it was out. Part of, it was part of the reason. Yes, it's gonna <laughs> be sure. well worth it, yeah. though. You got a super cool dice tower. You can use that in in all your games. It was, so, it, so the the uh, John Zinser, the guy who owns AEG, keeps telling me like, okay, we spent this time coming out with this tower. You got to make another game that uses More tower, this tower games. Now. Yeah. So of course, I've come up with another game that uses a cube tower, but it does. It's a completely different cube yeah, tower. Yeah, <laughs> but now it's a pirate ship. Yeah, but it's in yeah. it's in the tower world universe, which you're establishing. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, AEG is now the tower and card crafting brand, <laughs> which is exciting. All right, now we're almost out of time, but what I think is very important is a well-rounded life. And so uh, I just, I would love to know for both of you guys, what are some other things that you want to shout out that you love? That maybe people could check out at home, you know, like parenting or whatever <laughs> yeah. it might be. Well, the, the, the obvious one in my life is my the new member of my family. Um, so a shout out to my beautiful wife who's at home keeping uh, keeping safe and happy, my wonderful son, Jackson. Jackson. Tiny fingernails. One month old. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. How are you enjoying fatherhood? Um, great. You are in the exhausting part of it right now. I am so. in the exhausting part <laughs> yeah. of it. Great. I was up from 3 a.m. last night to 4.30 because sure. he wouldn't fall asleep. Um, trying to work on a prototype while he sat in my lap, lap, kind of crying a little bit and not crying and then drifting off briefly and then starting to cry again. And finally he went, fell asleep. Did you teach you him? Seem and this is, what, this is what nights are now and then. You look well rested and seem equally as energetic though. I'm yeah. confused as to how you're doing this. No, oh, it, won't, it won't last all day. <laughs> You'll need a nap in the afternoon. energy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, the thing I want to shout out, um, it can't be game-related, right? We shouldn't be. Uh. Yeah, great. No, I, it's good. I don't have it. Uh, actually, I've been uh, finally going back and seeing uh, music, live music recently. Ooh. And I've been out of the game for a little bit. I went and saw a band called King Buffalo uh, last week, and I highly recommend them. Check them out. They're kind of like psychedelic rock. You're into that. Um, and I've also been jamming on a weird amount of like 80s synth wave. Do you guys ever listen to this stuff? 
I mean, I'm not opposed. I don't. I, haven't. I don't generally sick. either, and I don't really dance. To <laughs> but like some of this weird like video game retro kind of sound is really coming back, and I highly recommend it. Okay. Yeah. Like okay, modern cool. interpretations of. Yeah, it's like they almost are. They're throwing back to it. There's a band called, or there's a, I guess, a artist called Phaserland that I've been listening to, and it's. It sounds like it came from the 80s, but also has like a Super Nintendo feel to it. I too. think I know exactly what a band called Phaserland is. <laughs> yeah. that, that sounds yeah. like it would be fun music to have like in the background while I'm working on a game. Well, right? Try it out. Like yeah. I'm always, I'm always trying to find good like music that that keeps the brain, the creative brain working. Going yeah, focus music. And focus. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Highly recommend. Yeah. John, you got another shout out? Uh, another Things shout you recommend ungame related to our audience. Um. Go Dodgers. Go Dodgers. This is the year. <laughs> this is the year. This is the year. We, they're, they're only one time in history has a team lost two World Series in a row and come back and won it the third year. And this is going to be the second time. Now they just – are they in game three with the Giants right now? They're on the third game with the with the Giants. Right, and they're, they're one they're and four, one? They're <coughs> four and two in the season. So okay. Guys, one and um, one sorry. Uh, my name's on the podcast, and I'm going to have to limit the sports talk. <laughs> sports are games as well. <laughs> also, I'm giving you everything I know about the Dodgers right now. That was, right. That was where my contribution <laughs> was, was about to was, end. Was like, the full so amount. they had two games this week, right? <laughs> That's all I can contribute. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I can contribute less than that. But I can tell you guys about a documentary I just watched on a plane. I'm obsessed with it, and I'm going to recommend it to everyone. It's called Chef Flynn. Oh. And it is about this uh, kid. He He's now basically an adult. I think he's 17 or 18. But when he was 10 years old, he started a supper club in his mom's house and became a passionate chef making gourmet 10-course meals. And they started charging out of their house to go to Chef Flynn's restaurant called Eureka. And this documentary, because his mother was a filmmaker before she had children and continued to be, and started making a documentary. So he's always like, Mom, turn the camera off. I'm just trying to be a, a top-tier chef over here. Uh, and then when he was 15, I think it was the New Yorker or the New York Times published an article about him, and then he like blew up. And the the kid chef Doogie Hauser of the chef world, but anyway, Sheflin is a good film. Was this like a Netflix documentary, or was it? I was on an airplane, no. and then that's the other thing I got to shout out. Which, if you listen to my episode with Jimmy Wong, y'all, who is uh, he does a podcast called The Command Zone about Magic the Gathering and the Commander format, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I play casually, I play, I'm into it, but you know, rather casually. Now I'm hardcore. <laughs> into magic because I had the great honor of interviewing players at the Mythic Invitational at PAX East for Magic the Gathering Arena, which is their uh, digital version of magic that was released, I think, in January is when the beta went public. It's still technically in beta, but... Um, now I live, die, and breathe Magic Arena. <laughs> After watching that high, high level of magic performed, just the epitome of what competitive magic can be. Uh, so shout out. That's really arena. cool that you got to go do that. Like, as Tell I me mean, about it. You, as a Magic fan when you were a kid, because I think we started around the same age. I started like on fourth grade. Like, I remember following the pro scene then. It was just like in the few magazines we saw mm -hmm. a few pictures of these nerds playing these yeah. games with huge tables and like. It's, that exists? Yeah. And remember when it first got on ESPN2 for like a half hour one time at like 12 in the morning? 
And I was like, what? this exists, this is happening, and now. There was a hundred, and I wanna say 150,000 live viewers at some point on amazing. Twitch. That's amazing, that's awesome. Yeah, so. Uh, I just out. marvel at, at how they've managed to keep Magic the Gathering fresh yeah. and good for, yeah. what, 20, 25 years? Oh, well, and how many expansions? 25, 25 years? Mm -hmm. And how many Last expansions? Like, I mean, they keep coming up with new mechanics. Exactly. And and they keep it fresh. Impressive. Well, I think what I overheard. It just speaks to how good the core game is. Oh, yeah. absolutely. What what I absorbed like a sponge all weekend uh, was that one of the people that worked in R&D was saying they can never make the new set completely overpower all old cards. And that is what makes the formats that encapsulate all uh, eras of cards still work in cohesion is because each set, of course, has super powerful mythic rare cards, but at the same time, overall, the set is equally powered. Of course, there's always the cards that... I think power creep is a real thing. Yeah. But it has to be at it, some level, right? Yeah. Yeah. But... But yes, like there's still cards from back in the early 2000s or late 1990s when that are like, you know, really good if you Super used them now, cool. right? Unstoppable. Right? Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we could just sit and talk about all these things <laughs> all day long. But that's it for this episode of Victory Points. Uh, thanks so much, John, for being our guest today. Thanks, thanks for John. having me. Such a pleasure. Jake. Yeah. This has been great having you as a co-pilot here. I've enjoyed sitting next to you. We should do this more often. Well, yeah, we should. Maybe next week? I'll be there. Okay, sounds good. Thanks to you guys at home. Please make sure that you rate, review, like, share, subscribe, tell a friend in person. Because we want everyone you know to listen to Victory Points. Listen. This is how we will take over the world. <laughs> Join me in laughter. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, oh.